All right, good morning, everyone. Um, you know, that really wasn't a lot of time to stand. Uh, if you'd like just to stand for just a few minutes here, I just have some opening thoughts before we get in the Word. That would be great. If you want to stretch? Uh, the older I get, those pews just get harder and harder. So uh, if you want to wiggle a little bit and, you know, whatever, uh, greet your neighbor, that's fine. Um, before we get into Joshua, uh, I just want to take a moment. Several of you asked me about... Um, publications and what I'm working on. I think it was two years ago I was able to tell you that I just finished up an 18-year journey through the Old Testament. And um, I had the ebook form out then. Uh, shortly after that, I was able to get all 14 volumes um, in print. It ended up being a 5,400-page journey through the Old Testament. If you like the old brethren writers, the, the writers from yesteryear, uh, I tried to read all of them and, and preserve their best gleanings. There's about 200 contributors to that, that commentary. It's also available in ebook. And then the following year, I was able to uh, release a book called um, May We See Christ, an Old Testament Journey. I've been wanting to get to this for years, but I had to finish the commentary first. And so every day, 366 devotions, two-page devotions, it's nothing but Christ out of the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. All the types, the allegories, the pictures of Christ. And I, we just want to be in love with the Savior and see uh, what God wants us to see from his, his Word. And then last year, I did a complimentary uh, work through the New Testament. It's their one-page devotions, 366. Again, nothing but Christ. I didn't bring them here, but if you're interested in those, I, I'm going to be offering a 20% discount paying the shipping. Uh, just come talk to me, and if you give me your name, address, I'll send those to you afterwards. Okay, everybody stretch out. You can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7. Now, it became evident with uh, the question that Gary asked that I had failed to make the right distinction. And so I just want to go back and, and uh, clarify, make sure we're, we're straight on this. When we're talking about Jericho, Jericho is a picture of the world. Jericho was resisting the will of God. And in the world, it's a sphere of human order which um, doesn't want anything to do with Christ right? It, it keeps Christ out of it. It keeps God out of it. Uh, it's, it's a humanized order which secludes Christ, excludes him. And that's what Jericho did. They fortified themselves. They all heard about uh, what God had done for the Israelites, but they had fortified themselves resisting uh, God's will in this. And then with um, Ai, Ai represents the flesh, now, it's connected with Achan, because Achan was influenced by the world system. He wanted that Babylonian garment, and uh, he was drawn away in his lust. It says he coveted the gold, the silver, the Babylonian. So you get this picture between the lusts that come within, and also the system of the world that, that excludes Christ and drawing people into that, that undertow of thinking and philosophy. Well, it was a sad day. And by the way, the, the, we overcome the world by 
uh, renewing our mind. Trans, uh, we don't conform to the world, we renew our mind. We just say, oh, this is what God wants. I'm not going to go uh, under this form of philosophy that excludes Christ. And then in the flesh, we, we confess, we repent, and we mortify, or we put to death. And I gave two little aspects here. One is, we don't do the deeds of the flesh to strengthen the flesh's resolve against what the Spirit of God wants us to do. Colossians 3, 5. And then in Romans 8, verse 13, we saw that in present tense, we're like active soldiers taking every thought captive as soon as we understand that it doesn't have the approval of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't conform to the will of God, we yank it out of our mind, right? Sometimes I picture a little lasso and I got this little black calf going around my mind and I grew up on a ranch, so... You know, I yank it out of my head. Whatever works for you. Sometimes it's like that, and I just shake it out. Whatever works, okay? Get it out. Don't, don't let your uh, flesh go with it. So we ended with this really sad um, point in Israel's history. Achan's found out. He confesses his sin. And he, his family, everyone involved, all he has, uh, it's put to death, cut, covered over, with stones, they were stoned, the, plate, the thing was burnt completely, mortified, put to death. And that's the only way you can deal with the flesh. Now at the end of chapter 7, Israel called this place the Valley of Achor, the Valley of Trouble. This would be a nice tie-in with what Scott was just teaching us on point one in the power of the Holy Spirit, giving us hope. Because the prophet Hosea picks this up in chapter 2, and he's telling uh, the nation of Israel, that there's a coming day where all these centuries of problems and troubles in the valley of Achor are going to give way to a door of hope. And that's speaking of the millennial kingdom. Now listen, believer, the good news is for you, that can happen right now, right? Uh, the day of trouble. Boy, there's waves of trouble. Sometimes we cause it ourselves, sometimes it comes upon us. But the Lord wants to take each of those troubles and turn it into a door of hope and an expectation of what he will do if we just look, look to him. Um, the Lord didn't get a hold of my life until I was about 21 years of age. I made a profession 11. I met the, those that follow New Testament principles at about 21 years of age. My life's never been the since. Praise the Lord, because they got me in the word. And I came under conviction that the way I was living, uh, my doctor and everything was, was really pretty putrid to the Lord, and, and there was a revival in my life, and it's been wonderful since then. All of us make mistakes, and this is the beauty uh, of the Lord's dealing with us. I, I like the proverb, uh, a righteous man falls seven times and he gets back up, but the, the wicked fall into mischief. There are sins to death. If it's, if it's so severe, there are sins to death, and God might take you home as a disobedient believer. But that's not his normal recourse. Normally, he wants to work with us, get us to repentance, get us to a place of fruitfulness. So failures are not final unless you make them so. Dear believer, learn from your mistakes, get up in grace, and go on with the Lord. There's a valley, there's a door of hope. You don't have to live in the, the valley of trouble or achor, uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can look forward to an expectation of what a great God will do. Now, in chapter 8, by the way, yesterday I knew I was time-challenged. I'm 
I admit to you, I'm pressing through the narrative faster than I would like to because I'm most exercised about the last two messages of this conference, which is in the last part of the book of Joshua. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to look at four principles for how we can better lay hold of our spiritual blessings in heavenly places. What determines that? And I'm excited about sharing that with you. So I, I know I'm pressing the text fast. Thanks for putting your seatbelt on and hanging with me, and we're just going to keep going. In chapter 8, um, notice the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. Remember Ai, that pictures the flesh. Joshua didn't consult the Lord. He listened to uh, his spies and said, ah, Just send maybe 3,000. This isn't a big deal. We don't need the Lord on this one. It's basically what they're saying, right? Every victory is the Lord's victory. Please, if that's one thing you take home, take that home this week. We can't do anything without the Lord. Um, Scott made that point from John 15. I got a wallet and a bottle here, so I think that's going to hold it. All right? So he says, take all the people. Now, I'm just going to tell you about chapter 8 because it will take too long to read the text. And uh, the, the application here is when we do sin and we turn away from the truth, there is always consequences for sin. We choose our sin, God chooses our consequences. Usually tempered with mercy, praise the Lord. And so what we see in chapter 8 is the fact that sin makes things more difficult as far as solution, right? Solutions become more difficult as a result of sin. And so what would have been an easy victory for God's people if they just walked along the Lord with the Lord and his will and his power become very complex in chapter 8. And so what we have is Joshua sends 30,000 men by night over west of Ai, and then there's going to be another 5,000 of those men that kind of head towards Bethel. And then the rest of the body comes the next day. And the plan is this. We're going to go towards Ai, and they're going to come out, and we're going to fake um, a retreat. And so we're going to draw away. And then the men from, from Bethel and the men from Ai will come out after us. And then the ambushers will go in and wipe out the city. And then when they see the smoke of the city, they'll be discouraged, and then we'll have them sandwiched. And that's what they did, and it worked. It was an incredible victory. Now, Ai, again, represents the flesh. And here's a great illustration. 12,000 people in Ai, they all were knocked out in this, this attack. I'm su suggesting that maybe the army was 3,000 people. Given the last... Uh, numbering of Israel and able-bodied men to be soldiers, Ai was outnumbered 168 to 1. Who in their right mind would leave a fortified city and come out and battle an army 168 times bigger than them? That's the flesh, right? The flesh deceives. The flesh makes you think you're stronger than you are. But the flesh has no strength. And so we see um, God bringing a great victory through this ambush in chapter 8. Uh, completely wipes out the inhabitants of Ai and Bethel. So now what we have is Joshua, they've crossed over the Jordan in the right timing, 40 years, four days before the Passover. 
It allowed to test the lambs. It allowed the men to be uh, circumcised. So now they're consecrated to the Lord. And the first thing they attack is Jericho, a symbol of the world. They wipe out Jericho, an incredible victory, not one man lost. Uh, They went forth in their flesh against Ai. 36 men died. It's the only time we read of death uh, by the Jewish soldiers. After that, they got right with the Lord. Uh, They took care of the sin, and they went and obliterated Ai and Bethel. So now they have this wedge through the, the center part of Canaan on the east side. And as we, we go on now through the text, we're going to see that through different circumstances, God is going to provide that w- a deepening wedge. They're going to take out five kings in the south, the main bodies, main armies, and then they'll go to the north. It takes about seven years for the conquest to conclude. So let's pick up now in chapter 9. We're going to talk about the Gibeonites, which I said yesterday uh, represent the devil, the devil, his main tactic is deception. And that's exactly what happened. We read of the Gibeonites. Uh, they saw, <clears throat> verse 1, what happened, uh, what the Israelites had done. And so um, they have a different strategy that they're going to do, Right? Jericho resisted the will of God. We, if we band together, we can fight this enemy and we'll win. They all heard of what God was doing, but they resisted that. Rahab said, I give up. I want mercy. And she was saved and brought in to the, the commonwealth of Israel and blessed, brought into the tribe of Judah. And here's the third way that the people were dealing with the problem, and that is deception. It says in verse 3, But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors, and they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wise skins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provisions was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal and said to him, And to the men of Israel, we have come from a very far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. And the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him, from a very far country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did in the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Shion, king of Hezbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was of Aristarch. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey, and go and meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Notice in verse 4, it says, Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them, 
and made a covenant with them to live with them, and the rulers of the congregation swore to them. Now, we understand that there were actually four cities that were involved. I think they're named in verse um, 17. Yeah, 17. So there were at least four cities, but these were all uh, Gibeonites. Um, These were people of the land of Canaan. And uh, basically, they said, wow, nobody can stand against these Israelites. And so the plan was this. We're going to deceive them into thinking that we're a people not in Cana, but we've heard about their God and what their God is doing. And so we're going to fake, like we've traveled this long distance to enter into a peace treaty with them. Old clothes, old sandals, stale bread. And uh, they come to Israel, and it's, it's almost like Israel uh, and Joshua, deep down they know, hmm, I wonder if we're getting tricked. I wonder if we're getting deceived. And so they asked the Lord about it. No, they didn't ask the Lord about it, and that's why they got into trouble. What did they do? They tasted the old, stale bread and said, boy, this must be true what they're saying. <laughs> they, they, they trusted their senses right? Beloved, if we start trusting our senses on spiritual things, we're going to be deceived every time. Um, Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. Now, Paul has a heart for uh, those at Colossae. They're being influenced by Gnostics, who were telling them that they need to have experiential knowledge of God, really to appreciate God. And they were teaching that Christ was something between man and God, but not, not fully God. And, um, and Paul sets the matter straight and says, no, if you want to experience uh, God, know God, you have to come through Christ because he is the wealth. He's the reservoir of all power and knowledge. He, in him, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. So in Colossians chapter uh, 2, verse 4, he comes down and he says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. You see that word persuade? Or, uh, sorry, not persuade, deceive? Um, That is a Greek word, paralogizomahi. That's a big word, right? In in Romans chapter 4, you'll find... Logizomahi, 11 times. And it's translated this way in the, in, in the subject matter's justification. It's, it's to impute or to incredit righteousness to someone's account. When you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, although you're not perfect, you get a perfect standing before God because he puts his righteousness to your account. That's why Paul writes... Uh, to the different uh, churches, and he says, to the saints at Colossae, or the saints at Ephesus. You're a saint, not because you've been dead five years and somebody voted on you. You're a saint because you've been declared righteous in God's eyes through the finished work of Christ. And so, um, in Colossians chapter 2, he's telling them, don't be deceived. This is paralogizomahi. So, listen to this. This is what Satan does. Here is... Here is God's rock truth. This is the will of God that our brother was just telling us about. He reveals it to us. He wants us to know it, stand on it. The Spirit of 
of uh, Holy Spirit guides us into it deeper, to appreciate it. And, he, and, he, and the Lord is telling the believer, you stand on this no matter what the cost. No compromise. Here's what Satan done, does. He comes and imputes his truth, para, around the truth. Right? Near the truth, but not on the truth. And so what he's trying to do is deceive us to step off of the truth into deception. He can't push us off. He has to lure us off. Deception. And that's why he can come up with some really high-minded, intellectual, humanistic arguments. And people, when they trust their senses and their intellect, can be fooled. We need God's word and we need God's spirit. Otherwise, we're going to be deceived. So, both James and Peter, actually, let's just take a look at this. Flip over to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil. We're never told to fear Satan anywhere in Scripture. We respect him. He's probably the most powerful created being. He's uh, Ezekiel 28. He's a covering cherub. Probably on the, my thinking is he was probably on the inner circle of cherub. Possibly the most powerfully created being. But the child of God is never told to fear Satan. We're told to fear the one that can destroy the soul. That's God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Wasn't that encouraging? That's telling me that if I just rest on this bedrock of truth and trust God's word no matter what, I don't trust my senses, I don't trust philosophies and all the things the world wants to do to pull me off of the truth, and I just resist, 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 after a while Satan will say, well, he isn't going anywhere. And he'll go somewhere else. Right? So we just resist. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We just heard that in the last message. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep, that your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Well, that's a great verse. So this is what's happening so much today in modern Christianity, is the devil is... He is putting all his thinking all around the truth. And the, the more you grow in Christ and the more you know Scripture, he's going to get closer and closer and closer to the truth because he knows if he comes way out here, he won't move you. And so what happens is he gets you to move a degree or two, and if you compromise, he'll come back later another degree or two, and over time you get out uh, in left field. I can't remember if I shared this illustration with you before, but I think it helps make this point. I was speaking to a group of young people about 10 years ago, maybe 45, 50 young people. I said, okay, I want to show of hands. How many of you believe black is equal to white? Raise your hand. Nobody raised their hand. I said, all right, let me prove it to you. So I took the American Collegiate Dictionary, and I looked up the word black. I said, all right, one of the synonyms for black is dark. And then I looked up the word dark, and I said, one of the sims for dark is dim. 
And then I looked up the word dim, and one of the synonyms for dim was pale, and I looked up the word pale, and one of the synonyms for pale was white. I said, there it is. Black is equal to white. I just proved it to you from the dictionary. How many of you believe black is equal to white? I had kids raising their hands. No, it's not. <laughs> but do you see what, it, what I did? I just took some imprecise meanings. God is not an imprecise God. <laughs> he means exactly what he says. We're the ones who spin the truth. In our flesh, we spin the truth. The world system's causing, it's luring us to spin the truth. And so uh, this is what happened to, back to book of Joshua now, chapter 9. This is what happened to Joshua. He didn't seek counsel from the Lord. That's always a warning sign, dangers ahead. Trusting the senses, they ate the bread. Oh yeah, this is nasty old stuff. <laughs> we'll trust in that versus the Lord. Silly, isn't it? Great consequences. Well, after three days, verse 16, guess what? <laughs> they found out we have been deceived. And they were angry about it. <laughs> they go to the Gibeonites. Well, why did you deceive us? Well, we feared you, right? And uh, some in the congregation, they wanted to go and obliterate the, the Gibeonites. Verse 16, but the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel and all the congregation complained against the rulers. Well, they probably had a good right to complain against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. Um, if, if you get off the tracks with the Lord, Abraham shows us this um, when he goes down and ventures to Egypt in Genesis um, chapter 12. Uh, he goes right back up to the place that, that he was with the Lord at Bethel. Um, that's where he made the decision to go down into Egypt, a, a picture of the world when the, the famine came. He goes right back there, builds an altar, and worships the Lord. Get back, go back where you got off tracks of the Lord, repent, confess it, and, and just go on with the Lord. He, he loves that. He wants to restore you. Um, but don't think that you can fix your own consequences of bad decisions. In this case, two rights would not, uh, two wrongs would not make a right, right? Uh, two, two wrongs are not going to bring the people of God back to where God wants them. There's consequences of sin, and because of the consequence, they lost God's best. We're going to see that in a moment. He still would use them, still bless them. They repented. They said, we made a mistake. But there were consequences of this, um, this uh, alliance that the leaders of Israel had made with the Gibeonites. So what do they do? Well, they make them slaves and woodcutters in verse 23. That was against what Moses told them in Deuteronomy 12.30. But they couldn't kill them. They made a covenant, a peace treaty with them. And it was in the name of Jehovah. They had to honor the name of Jehovah, and, and rightly so. But as a result, what do we do with them? Oh, we'll make them slaves. We'll benefit from them. Well, the consequences of that is that um, by the time you get to the book of Judges, the, the slaves become the master and rule the people of God. 
Um, I like this in verse 24 when the Gibeonites were explaining why they did it. Therefore, we were very much afraid of our lives because of you and have done this thing. Gibeonites represent the devil. The devil knows he's defeated. We read that in John chapter 12. The Lord says, I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Then the prince of this world will be cast down. Uh, he, he reads the Bible. He knows that in all of it discourse, um, the Lord told his disciples that the lake of fire was created to punish him. It's downward for him. Out of the inner circle of cherubim, off the holy mount of God. Uh, during the tribulation, in, uh, constrained to the earth. After the tribulation, down in the pit for a thousand years. Short release and then the lake of fire. It's down, down, down. And he knows he's defeated. He knows where he's going. And all Satan can do is cast doubt on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. To try to deceive people away from it, just so he has as much company as possible in the lake of fire. He hates Christ, and he hates anyone who worships him. And the only thing he can do is deter people from ever coming to Christ and being a Jehovah worshiper. So, in chapter 10, and this is where the last chapter we'll cover um, this morning. Gary, how much time do I have? I don't have my... Five. Talk faster. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Gibeonite, uh, the Gibeonites, uh, the five kings in the south, they didn't like the Gibeonites making this peace treaty with Israel, and so they band together. Uh, five major cities are listed in verse 3, and they come uh, up north, and they encamp around Gibeah, and they have one intention. You made a covenant with our enemies, we're going to wipe you out. You're going to be an object lesson. So Gibeah sends out an SOS, goes to Joshua down at Gilgal. What's Joshua do? Now, i got to tell you, if this was me, I know this would have came into my mind. I messed up with the Gibeonites. Whew, now God's getting me out of this. He's going to use those kings and obliterate the Gibeonites. Whew, problem solved, right? But he made a, a covenant with them in the name of Jehovah. And he's going to honor that. And that is honoring to the Lord. So he rallies the troops, and they march all night to Gibeah. They get there at sunrise. Now, let me give you a, a little understanding of what this is. Okay, uh, Gilgal is like uh, minus... 1,200 feet uh, elevation, 1,200 feet below sea level. And they're going to come up about 2,800 feet to Gibeah. So they're going to have an ascent of 4,000 feet. It's about a 15-mile jaunt, and they're doing it at night. How many here have ha done the half-dome hike? <laughs> okay, so this is about 80-85% of a half-dome hike. Now, after you did the half-dome hike, are you there ready? I'm ready to fight the enemy. No, you're ready to pass out and sleep for two days. I mean, right? That's the flesh. But this is the Spirit of God in control. So they get there at sunrise. I'm skipping, uh, I'm just telling you about the narrative for the sake of time. They get there at, the, at sunrise. They engage the enemy. It's an incredible route. They, they go down the Agilin Valley. They're wiping them out. God is bringing hailstones out of heaven. God knows how to fight the enemy. Joshua says, we need more time. Sun stands still. Moon stands still. 
And so for another full day, they fight the enemy. They obliterate the enemy. They get the kings in a cave at Makeda. And verse 16, Joshua says, roll some stones there until I get there. And so Joshua arrives, unroll the stones. And it says in verse 23, so it was then they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with them, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on the necks of their kings. Then Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterwards, mark this, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees, and they were hanging on the trees until evening. Wow. Here are the kings. Here's the representatives of the whole southern coalition. Their armies have been wiped out. The kings are hiding in a cave. Joshua says, preserve them till I get there. Rolls off the stone. Bring these kings out. And then he has his captains go and step on their necks. I don't know what that sounded like, but it can't be very good, right? Well, what's, what's the picture here? David says in 2 Samuel 22:41. this is his song of deliverance. He talks about, Lord, you've given me the necks of my enemies. You can see it in Romans uh, 16. We'll close with this. Turn to Romans 16. Remember, Joshua represents the Lord Jesus, God's salvation. Paul says, picking up in verse 19, I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you. So Joshua is sharing the victory with the captains. He's showing you you're the next vulnerable place. And with their foot on the neck, it's showing they have the victory. But who was it who slayed the kings? Joshua. Picturing the Lord. Same picture in Genesis chapter 17, when Moses is up above holding the rod of God over the valley of battle with the Amalekites, picturing the intercession of Christ, and Joshua is below with the sword among the Israelites, whacking out and destroying the Amalekites. Well, in the church age, it isn't the Lord among his people, it's the Lord and his people taking out the enemy, sharing the victory with us. And it's good advice. Be wise in what is good, simple concerning evil. Give it no, never mind. Know the word of God. Be wise. That was second, uh, second point Scott had. Be wise. Let the Spirit of God guide you into truth. Be wise. This, the character of Christ come out, and he will share the victory with you. But don't be given over to your senses or your own reasoning. You will be led astray, right? When our son was in mission aviation training, um, he got his pilot's license, and then he's our son that's been stricken with uh, physical, mental issues. But I remember him telling me when he was working on his um, instrumentation rating, he said, uh, I think it was 37 seconds, 37 or 57 seconds. I said, what's that? He says, that's the time that it takes to crash an airplane if you're in uh, a cloud cover uh, without your instruments, it's, you get disoriented. 
And uh, if you don't fly according to your instruments, you have to let the you have to trust the instruments with your life. If you trust your own senses, you'll crash the plane. Fifty-seven seconds, beloved. <laughs> if we don't trust the Lord and we're deceived, we're going to crash a lot sooner than that. Every victory is the Lord's victory. So whether it is Jericho, don't conform to that God-hating, Christ-hating. Uh, a system that excludes Christ. Transform your mind, prove what God wants us to do. Whether it's AI, uh, we don't want to go in the power of our flesh. We need the Lord in every battle, every victory. And don't be deceived. You just rest on that embodiment of truth that God's given to us and just say, I'm going to resist, I'm going to resist, I'm going to draw near to God, I'm going to resist, and you won't be deceived by the enemy. The same thing we see in Joshua is really the pathway to victory uh, today for the believer. Father, we thank you for this text. We pray that we would just bring it into practice, uh, these principles. We pray for each one. We each have different battles. We each have different weaknesses. But we have the same enemy, and we have the same Lord. And so, Father God, we'd ask that the Lord Jesus Christ be strong in us, that he might have the victory Every victory is his victory. We give thanks in his name. Amen.